The GameCube is Cool podcast is a recorded and produced show from Toronto, Canada. If you want to support the show, you can go to patreon.com forward slash the GameCube was cool to find our $1 and $5 a month tiers. Special thank you to our Patreon supporters at the $5 or above level. I Rebel, Dan Wagner, Kirsten Cardinal, Jed Winters, Christopher Valenz, Joey Sirico, and Resident Evil Collector. The GameCube, GameCube was cool. Hosted by Mike Lane and Neil Gilbert. Yesterday was the first day of fall. Summer is over finally. I'm not. A, I, I like summer. Summer is a good season. It's, it's up there. It's up there in my favorites. I was thinking though. I always think around the, the time when the seasons start to change. What's your favorite season? I don't think I know this about you. Do you have a favorite, or do you, do you just not care? I, I, it's definitely not going to be winter because you know we live in Canada. Sure. We live in Ontario, Toronto, uh, and we 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 don't like winter here, Neil, because our winter is basically six months. So you know our seasons are very different from other people's. Yes, our seasons do vary quite a bit in Toronto. Winter is good until after New Year's. Yeah, people like December. Yeah, because it's like, oh, look at this new season. There's snow coming down on the ground. By the time February hits, it's like, well. This is it. We're locked in for years now. A lot of people think like, oh, you know, it's March. It's springtime now. But spring really doesn't start until May. Yeah, that's right. Late April, early May. So I, I do like spring. I would say spring is a top contender for, for best season. But I think it's fall for me personally, Neil. Fall because it's a good, you know, pretty temperate weather for the most part. You're kind of getting getting a little chilly sometimes, but you're never getting too cold. Mm-hmm. And um, it's sweater weather, Neil. I love sweater weather. Yeah, I, I, I hate how much we agree on things, Mike. I, <laughs> fall is my favorite season, too. I love jeans and hoodie weather. Uh, it's got all my favorite holidays, Halloween, Thanksgiving, my birthday, my mom's birthday. There's so much going on. It's comfortable outside. I love the smell of dying leaves. There's something about that smell that's so nice. Not that I love the smell of death, just leaves <laughs> dying. Uh, I like Thanksgiving. I like seeing my family. But uh, it's, it's such a nice holiday. It's such a nice season, man. Uh, fall has got to be it. So I'm glad that we're entering into our favorite season of the year right now. We are. Yeah, and that means that uh, you know golf is is winding down too. Been playing a lot of golf this summer, uh, which I always love doing. And you know, Neil, I was thinking the other day, golf announcers, not not you know golf commentators, but golf announcers in games. Uh, you know, the people who are like fairway, nice drive, <laughs> like the guy in the Wii Sports, uh, the Wii Sports game on Wii, of course. Cart path, <laughs> <laughs> par, and you know what? What are they doing? You know what? What are they doing during the off season? They go in, they do their lines. Do you think these these people are just following um, following people on dates? This is what I like to think of Neil. That that you you get someone to follow them because you know they got to comment on something. Yeah, they can't not. Dates happening. Uh, someone says something wrong. Ooh, out of bounds. <laughs> you do something nice, going for a kiss. On the green. (laughs) (laughs) But they're like dangerously close by, like three feet away. (laughs) The entire bar is empty except for these two people on their date. And this golf announcer sits right smack dab next to the dude. I just imagine a couple having a dinner uh, and then... You know, at the third table, uh, yeah. the, at the third chair that he's brought over. <laughs> yeah, 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 oh, yeah. He, no, he pulled a table over <laughs> so that he could stay for a while, get coffee, dessert, and everything. Just join them, maybe split the bill. <laughs> they got to do something, man. Have you? You've never seen golf live, have you? Like, are there announcers at golf, like at a sporting event? There aren't, but there should be. That I would make. That would be great, especially when you can't see, because you'll. 
often when you watch golf, you you, you kind of start on if you're on one hole, and when someone's teeing off, you're there with them, and then you'll kind of walk with them. Sure. You know, after they've gone, and I would love to hear what happened to that ball because I can't see that ball. No. So I would love to have someone just say fairway but they have to be standing where the ball lands otherwise how would they know so they're yelling <laughs> yeah. across the field unless they have some sort of speaker system nice approach <laughs> that would be great i don't ever plan on watching golf that sounds like the most boring sport to watch of all of them i would say uh f1 racing is the most boring sport to watch in person well you and i went to the honda Indy. yeah which is close and that was like for like you're waiting five minutes for the cars to come back and then they speed by and then we were chatting again about Yu-Gi-Oh or something. Yeah, and, and but we we were also lucky. We had like a nice little booth area. We had like the the buffet. They brought and us everything. food and everything. Yeah, you need to have food being brought to you. Like I remember there were Dr Pepper samples everywhere, which was nice. <laughs> yeah, you got to have a lot of food at a Honda Indy. But at that point, you're not watching the sport anymore. No, anything where it's just like a race where they're just running past you, or when the ball sometimes comes near you, th- those sound sound terrible. Golf and racing definitely better on TV. Changed my mind. Yeah. Definitely. Mike, you and I are still away on vacation, which means that we're still in the side mission uh, portion of our uh, of our content. So let's dive right into side mission. Part six of the GameCube was cool podcast. New episode every Thursday on all the major podcast services. We are the number one GameCube podcast on the Internet. We're here to look back on all 555 North American GameCube games one by one, sometimes 12 by 12, sometimes none at all. You can visit thegamecubewascool.com to check out all the things we've been working on. The website was developed by our very own Mike Lane. And, uh, and Webflow. Last week, Mike and I talked a little bit about what we would do if we would create our own GameCube Classic. Of course, we have the NES Classic and the SNES Classic with a bunch of the best games on the console, so we decided to make our own Dream Classic GameCube. If you haven't already, go back and check it out. This week, we are talking about video game box art on the GameCube. And we'll be talking about box art in general. Of course, we play more than just the GameCube, so it'll be hard not to talk about other games. Uh, but this was the first generation, Mike, where Nintendo home consoles ditched the cardboard BS that they were doing with the NES, SNES, N64, Game Boy, Game Boy Color, and Game Boy Advance. So we're going to be talking about our favorite GameCube box art, uh, some fun facts. But first, let's talk about the boxes themselves. Mike, these were plastic cases, a lot like the DVD. How do you feel about the form of a GameCube case? Well, I definitely think it was a step up from the N64's form because... Remember, we talked about this before, but the GameCube was a direct result of the N64's failures in terms of the controller, in terms of the actual system itself and how that worked. The GameCube was meant to be this sturdy, you know, uh, thing that you could bring anywhere. And the games kind of reflected that, especially in the cases. You know, in the cases, they're very hard, very, you know, that's that hard plastic, very thick. Quite, quite heavy. Got some, got some heft to it, which I always like. These things are far from eco-friendly. They use more <laughs> plastic than necessary. Oh, absolutely. And inside, of course, we do have the little slot for your memory card, which was made to so that you could, you know, bring the the game case to other people's houses and play the game using your GameCube's handle to right. bring it to your friend's house. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then you could have your memory card stored in there, so you don't, you know, trash your memory card as you're moving the GameCube. That was an interesting one. I think the PS2 did that in certain cases. Maybe not all of them. The PS2, of course, had the DVD case with the clips for the, the manual. I think some of them had memory card slots, but the GameCube's was really interesting on how much each case could hold. What do you think about the size of it, though? Because I always thought it was interesting seeing them. I I, I don't know. There's something about DVD cases mixing in with the with your game cases. Always look kind of strange. Nowadays, it's it's very different with... Well, for the most part, people don't own DVDs anymore. But the uh, the PlayStation 4, Xbox, and now the Series X and, and whatnot, they, they all look very different from a DVD case. And the Switch has kind of gone more towards a very tight, compact, like a PSP case. 
I was kind of looking at my shelf the other day thinking the DS case, I love the DS cases. They're small. And I kind of thought maybe the GameCube could have done something more like a DS case. Like I always just kind of thought as much as I love the GameCube cases, you have lots of room for the box art, which for the most part, they're all beautiful. It would have been neat to have seen it on a tighter case since you think you, you look at the GameCube and you think this has got to have a DVD in it. Mm-hmm. But it doesn't. It's the mini discs. So there's a lot of blank space inside of that case. What do you think? Do you think it could have done better with a smaller case or do you think it's perfect? Well, uh, you know, the eco-friendly person to me thinks that you kind of <laughs> probably done it the smaller. Yeah, I, personally, I do like cardboard, like almost heavy cardboard style cases. I really like those. Um, I'm thinking of specifically of the Japanese versions of the GameCube cases because those were cardboard and not fully plastic. Which is which is interesting, and but they were upright, um, uh, you know, unlike um, unlike the N sixty four, which N sixty four was made of really thin, crappy cardboard. Yeah, it was. I have a few N sixty four cases, just the ones that I really wanted, since those games have shot up a lot. The complete inbox N sixty four games. Because yeah, who's keeping their box for that? Not many people. Collectors, for the most part, nowadays, especially, and no one's throwing out the boxes anymore. Obviously, since collectors all own them by now, but they are flimsy. You're right. Like I don't want to. I actually keep the games outside of the box because I don't want to keep opening and closing an N64 box because it's kind of like opening and closing a cereal box over and over again. <laughs> you only like, got so many tries of that. Every time you open it, it just gets a little weaker <laughs> and you don't, you know, you want to keep it in pretty good shape. I should probably get protective cases for that one. And it is the strongest of all the, uh, of all the Nintendo consoles. I think the Wii U is pretty close. Honestly, it's changed to white, but the Wii U went back to a really flimsy case. Uh, even though it's plastic, it was this kind of thin blue plastic case. And uh, now the Switch, the Switch cases feel good, but they are quite a bit more compact. I think the GameCube also had to be that size to compete properly mm. with Xbox and PS2. Yeah. Um, it is interesting, though, because Xbox and, and PS2 did have that that style of case. There were the CD jewel boxes that Dreamcast had yes. for their games, mm-hmm. um, which I thought was interesting. They Dreamcast did come a year before, yeah. and PS2 coming with theirs, and then Xbox and GameCube kind of had to follow that, I, I assume is what happened. Yeah, and like we said before, the DVD generation was huge. People loved that case yeah. looks, and I'm sure manufacturers could easily kind of produce something for a video game console slightly different from a regular DVD, so it fits right into the manufacturing there. Let's talk about some of our favorite box art, though, Mike. This is kind of what the episode is all going to be about. There's 555 games on the GameCube. We've talked a lot about box art that we like in the episodes that we've done so far. We've talked about some games that we don't like in terms of the artwork that just look terrible. It looks like it was rendered in in a high school shop class or something. Just really bad box art. But what do you have any favorites that really stand out to you as like a, when you think of the GameCube, you think of this sort of like putting them on the table and like this is kind of like your prized library from the GameCube. I think all the Mario uh, sports and like other spin-off ones, I guess like all the Mario sports, Mario parties, Mario DDR, those are really well done. Very colorful, no white space around it. It's very tight and it reminds me actually of the Switch's artwork, yeah. which are all kind of supposed to be that very colorful style, very bold. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, I'd say, you know, I think a Mario... Mario Party 6 is a big one for me. I really enjoy how they did that. Uh, I love Mario Strikers. I think that's a really cool, edgy yeah. uh, cover without going too far to like like this weird kind yeah. of cover case. Well, that's what I was going to say because you said you love all how all the Mario games look so similar and they're all great. Like they all kind of have this consistent art style to them. Mario Strikers is the one that doesn't. It's true. It doesn't. Yeah, but it still works in that in that world and I like that. Yeah, it almost looks like a cel shaded tattoo kind of hand-drawn art. It's really neat. 
I guess listeners at home, this is going to be really awkward to explain over a podcast. <laughs> we probably should have addressed that. We're going to be talking a lot about box art and, and whatnot. So if you're at your desk and you have a chance to look up what these games look like, if you don't have the cases at home, by all means do that. Um, but Mario Strikers, I love the case on this one. I would love to get like, or love to see like a tattoo of this one or like a movie, like an animated short in that art style, because it's not what you picture with Mario Kart Double Dash or Melee, where you have these sort of computer generated images. This one is very much a hand drawn black outline image and it looks so cool yeah and it explains what the game is too which a box which box art needs to do it you know it's obviously a football game soccer if you live in north america and all the characters look very angry and it is an aggressive game too Mm. even though it's rated e uh, it's a very aggressive game, very violent game, and that does come through with this art. Yeah, I think that art is really incredible and very unique in that sense. Mm-hmm. I also love Luigi's Mansion, specifically just how simple it is. Mm-hmm. You know, just black, Luigi's face kind of faded out in the shadows, and the ghost around him. Looking terrified. Yeah, yeah. and I, and the, the Japanese version of it is even better because it... Uh, just allows for more space. There's less stuff on the cover. Yeah, there's no ghosts on uh, the cover. Yeah, there's no ghosts on the cover, and there's no like um, ESRB or anything there too. So it's, it's no HUD. Yeah, no HUD. <laughs> <laughs> and so that that's really it, it. It makes it stand out more, and does make it feel more like a Resident Evil style, mm-hmm. which they kind of were going for. I also love uh, X Men Legends. Both of them, nice. one and two, they have beautiful covers. Uh, look almost like. Like a comic book. Like a comic book, yeah, yeah. And like uh, almost like painted on to the really, really nice covers. That's actually what grabbed me at first when I when I first saw them. And one of my favorites that is uh, kind of an odd one is Dave Mira uh, 2, the BMX game. Is that the red one? That's the red one. Okay. Yeah, and so you see all these games coming out, all the Tony Hawk games, Matt Hoffman, all the different... They look identical. They all look <laughs> identical. Yeah, they're all, all... All these extreme sports games were basically identical regardless of the publisher in terms of how they looked. You know, they all were going for that edgy style. Uh, usually this photo that was kind of blurred for some reason because everyone liked doing this motion blur on photos. And Dave Mira too, if you look it up, it's basically just a full red cover with Dave Mira kind of doing a backflip with the BMX. Uh, and it has all these little, like, white text and, and outlines around it. And it's got a very, very modern font for today. But I, I would be very curious of what, like, what people's reaction was to that cover when it came out. Because it's, it's a very simplistic cover, but it does the job now, for sure. Yeah, very different from the other extreme sports games from that time. Like you said, Tony Hawk. And even like aggressive inline, where it was very up close of a character doing a trick. This yeah. one was far away. I don't think it's even centered. No, him doing his trick. So it was very out there. It's different, which I know you love. You love any, like things that like artwork that's different, and it does stand out. Like if you line up all the extreme sports games, it is the odd sheep like mm-hmm. of the group. That's a good choice. I love that. I made a uh, a short list here of uh, I kind of categorized it as great games that need no revision to their box art. Uh, I love the Pikmin box art for the the first Pikmin. Both are great to be honest, and there's a lot of differences in Pikmin box art depending on the region you live in. But for the North American Pikmin game, it's it's uh it's really cool. Like it looks almost like it's a real picture of these little characters in in a little pond, kind of a garden. Olimar's there. Like, it looks like a claymated, like, they actually made, like, a little diorama almost. And I love model sets, like, on tabletops Mm -hmm. of, like, trains and cities and whatnot. And Pikmin always reminded me of that. So, uh... And it's, a, it's the first game in the franchise, too, and they absolutely nailed the box art right away, which was good. So I don't think any revision is needed there. And really, all the Pikmin games look great. Yep. Uh, except for Hey Pikmin, of course. That game sucks. Um, my second choice is Ultimate Spider-Man. 
Yeah, that's a great cover. Great cover. It's a cell shaded Spider Man, huge, like looking like a teenager. He's scrawny, kind of like big chests, thin arms, and then Venom's in the background too, faded. Great game. Explains exactly what it is. You know, it's not based on the movies, which I'm sure that they had trouble kind of figuring out how to differentiate themselves yeah. from the Maguire films at the time. So knocked it out of the park right there. I also really like the Battle for Bikini Bottom box art. Okay, yeah, that is a cool one. Yeah, it's interesting because it's SpongeBob wearing a military helmet, saluting. Yeah, which is like. You never see that in the cartoon. It's like a completely it's a completely different direction for the SpongeBob franchise to take. You know it's going to be like obviously it's going to be a war themed SpongeBob game, but you know it's not going to be Call of Duty. Yes. So they found a way to merge SpongeBob Nickelodeon's peak at the time with Call of Duty, which was just kind of coming into its own as this military franchise and I think it's a terrific cover. My fourth game here is Chibi Robo. Oh, okay, yeah, that's a cool one. And I like it for the same reason that I like Pikmin, in that it's it's very much like a, it looks like they made a little toy and put it in a house with him carrying his plug. And uh, again, it's another game that came out in the GameCube generation. It was a new franchise that didn't really set the world on fire, much mm-hmm. like Pikmin. It, it sold well enough in its niche. But the the case just looks beautiful, and it's so different. Like, who's this little robot? What's he doing? Yeah. Like, you kind of ask questions about what the game's about, but you know it's going to be sort of like a platformer puzzle solver just based on what he's doing in, in the frame. So that was a good one. Yeah, I love that. Um, we already talked about Mario Strikers, so I'm not going to rehash that one. My last choice, I guess I actually have six. <laughs> um, this one I kind of threw in here because I don't know if I like it or not. It's Eternal Darkness. Ooh, okay, because, well, we're going to have a little bit of disagreement now. Okay, let's talk about Eternal Darkness. Now, we've talked about Eternal Darkness on this podcast before. It's a survival horror game, and it's a very um, ethereal game. Like, it, it, you expect it to be like a Silent Hill, Resident Evil-style game, and it's not. And the box art is basically like a... It's planets aligning yeah. on, like, a graveyard with some fog, and it just says Eternal Darkness. It, it leaves you asking a lot of questions just by looking at it. It does see, and so so I have it in my games that I want to improve in terms of box art because I love the game, like, okay. like you said, and it's too simplistic. It's too there's nothing going on there really for me. The the font for one is it's this huge weird font that is definitely reminiscent of the early 2000s. So I understand why they did that, but it doesn't tell me anything at all about the game. You right. know, Dave Mira to is at least you know it's obviously just a red cover basically with him doing a flip a very small but i know what demir is i know this is a bmx game sure and they can get away with just having that cover i don't know what eternal darkness is i have no idea i see planets and i i have no idea what to think about this it would have been a little cooler to at least have some kind of rendition of a character on there like a person on there in some way i think would have helped yeah, I, I guess so. But like, it's not meant to be an action game either. Like you I don't want, you don't want to kind of loop it in with like a Claire Redfield from Resident Evil or a Leon Kennedy. The main character in Eternal Darkness is a is a blonde white woman in a tank top. And those were like, you think Laura Croft, if, yeah. you, if you think that character, yeah. right? And they probably didn't want to sell it as a game just about a woman going through a, a haunted mansion. So it is supposed to be a little bit more ethereal, um, like spiritual and almost cultish. Um, but the game looks kind of freaky, just like looking at the case. Like, But it didn't sell very well, this game. And I think that the box art had something to do with it. That's why I don't really know if I like it or not. It's yeah. really weird. Like, I love the game, and I, I bought it a long time ago and played it to death. No pun intended. Uh, <laughs> but like, I've always looked at the artwork thinking, like, I love this, but it doesn't match the game. Yeah. I, I think I, that, that's my problem with it. Yeah. Yeah, that is always a problem. Is like, it's a tough thing to do. And, our, our you know, just video game artwork in general has always been a an interesting concept uh, because you know the idea of video game artwork really came from arcades and arcades would have the you know their banners at the top 
uh, and that's where that's where all the artwork would go for the for the, the you know they didn't have game cases or anything. These weren't being sold; they were just at the arcades, and those were you know usually very artistic. Uh, they were usually painted on, uh, done by renowned artists. Uh, it was like these beautiful works of art on these uh, on the front of these cabinets, and we got a lot of that as we started to get into some of these home consoles like the Atari games and everything in the in the mid 80s we kind of lost it a bit with Sega when they were trying to make these almost templated mm-hmm. versions if you remember those where it's like the cover or the the game artwork in like a box and then on the other sides it's like this white yeah. weird like, like lines. a border like yeah. a border kind of thing yeah templating templating box art is just a recipe for disaster oh yeah i mean the back of boxes like we read the back of the cases so i've seen a lot of them those are templated to death well, for obviously sure. There's there's no real variety with backs of cases, um, but video games got into a point, especially in the 80s and 90s, like you mentioned Atari, where the box art straight up lied about like what the game's even about. Yes, <laughs> and it was like completely exaggerated, blown out of proportion. You'd see this giant dragon and a castle with fire and 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 warriors fighting, and then it's just two dots on screen doing whatever. That was obviously bad in Atari where graphics didn't really line up, but with the NES and the SNES, games were starting to become a little bit more advanced. They could render these animations, these sprites, and they weren't, and the games like weren't lining up at all where you get this amazing box art for this game and the game sucks. Yeah, yeah which that was like a lot. huge disparity. So I think games had to kind of snap back a little bit where they couldn't make their cases completely out there because it was almost false advertising. Castlevania was actually one of the first ones that did it really well. It had these you know, this box art that did actually sell people just based on that box art with this high fantasy style, beautiful paintings almost. And the game, uh, when the Castlevania came out, was a technological marvel. Sure. It actually worked. It looked like, you know, it didn't, it's not like you were playing on a painting, but it did feel like you were playing in an artistic style world. Yeah, it, it, like you felt like you were playing in Dracula's castle. Felt like I was Spider-Man. <laughs> Castlevania made you feel like you were Spider-Man. <laughs> now, there weren't too many GameCube cases that I felt lied to me per se, but there were some cases in the art specifically where I felt could have used some correction or some improvement. Number one for me is going to be probably a little bit polarizing, Mike, but Melee. Okay. I don't like Melee's box art at all. Okay. It's my least favorite. It's my least favorite Smash Bros. box art. It's way too clustered. I honestly thought for the first time I saw that the characters were sitting around a campfire <laughs> because it's bad. It, they're all like kind of too close together. You have characters like their sort of their thumbnail image for their character select screen on the case, which is weird. Like no other game does that. You know, you've got Link, Mario, Yoshi. All the original characters are back. Like Ice Climbers are included, but it's just like their eyes in these little postage stamps, and the characters are too close. You can't tell what's going on. There's so much text on there, too. Uh, Super Smash Bros. Melee makes sense, but then there's the white kind of sentence at the bottom, which could have been on the back. They could have moved that to the back. Um, so I think Super Smash Bros. Melee just needs a few things taken off. I think it would be fine if they just took out those postage stamp character faces and the white text and moved that to the back. What they, uh, it's funny because in my mind, I was actually thinking of the cover that I like that I realized isn't even a cover. Uh, I completely forgot about the actual Melee cover because I've just put it out of my mind completely. Because yeah, you're right. It is way too busy. It doesn't really make sense. I hate the little squares of the characters. Yeah. To, I, I know they're trying to sell you to say, look, who's in this game? But uh, I would have loved to see them do the full cover of what the manual cover is, actually. Okay. I'm not sure if you remember that, Neil, but that's what the one that they're all kind of lined up um, on what, like one side to the other, going from tallest to shortest. Yeah, that'd be kind of cool. And um, we use that in our thumbnail for Melee. Ah, okay. uh, And I really, really like that. I think that's like by far the better 
art style. I'm not sure who, because clearly if there's a battle between art styles and, and someone won out, and so then this one got relegated to the manual. Yeah. I, I don't know. There's just something about it. I never really liked it that much. I mean, it's got the main characters. I'm looking at it right now. Oh, yeah, you're just showing me the, the picture now. That'd be hard to put on a GameCube case because it, it is so wide, but you might be able to take a snapshot of that so that you at least get Mario, Link, Pikachu, Bowser, the main guys in there. But Melee probably could have used a bit of work. Obviously a terrific game. We've talked about it a lot on this podcast, so I don't want to hang too long on that yeah, game. Yeah, the white text on there is uh, is uh, it's so weird. that It's one of the only games that actually has that white text that isn't a promotional thing. That isn't like um, a, a box variant thing. No. Yeah, it's 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 there on every single copy, including Player's Choice. Yeah. Uh, my second game here that I think needs revision is Wind Waker. We even talked about this on the Wind Waker episode where it doesn't capture the the color of Wind Waker, like the, the whimsy, the how, how it's basically like a fairy tale. It's just this faded gold with a faded link on a boat in white if you hold it up to the light properly. Uh, and I, I don't really like it that much. Like, it's fine. It, it, it kind of maintains the theme of old Zelda games with the gold case, and I get that. But Wind Waker was such a shift in the Zelda universe, just with the art style and the character and the music and everything, that I love the art style for the um, the HD remake uh, on the case, where, like, the characters are waving. Like, they look like they're having a good time. They look like Disney characters almost. I think that that was a perfect revision to the case. So they did fix it with the Wii U version, I guess. But... The GameCube case, if you're holding it the wrong way, it looks like it's just a gold cover. Yeah, and and as a designer, I know that uh, gold does not print well ever, especially no. if you're printing it on paper. It's always going to look like this muddled, you know, just a, a very faded color that looks closer to like a beige than anything. Yeah. And yeah, I understand why they probably did it because of the the gold that they had on all the releases before that. But it's funny because after Wind Waker, they gave up. They didn't do it anymore. No. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. They went. They went back to like with Twilight Princess was a pretty good case. You got Link's head and the wolf on each side, so you kind of understand what's going on there. But looking at the Wind Waker case, you have no idea what it's going to be. No. And you can at this point we could look at magazines, we could look at E3 trailers and everything. So we were starting to get into the era of being able to tell what a game was without looking at the box art per se. But I can just imagine seeing, I was a bit too young to remember now, but I can just imagine seeing a lot of copies of Wind Waker on a shelf and thinking it must look really ugly. Seeing like a, like a bunch of bot, like Wind Waker cases lined up on the shelf, just this wall of off gold. I remember that. I remember uh, looking at it and being like, "Oh, this is kind of looks a little strange." Yeah, like it's it, drab. Yeah, it looks very drab. And there is a variant, uh, a box art variant of Wind Waker. It's black actually, and it has um, the uh, the 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 stained glass uh, link on it nice yes that's what i would want yeah and perfect I, I think that might be a japanese variant i forget exactly where that's from but uh yeah i that's what i would love uh, or at least like something more what i love is how they did it like you said in wii u like yeah because that, that is the again the manual that's the yeah. manual cover yeah and they kept the gold a little bit like yeah. they did keep the gold in that one they just added characters to it so there was a lot more life and color and personality which the game is bursting with and the so. gold becomes almost like more like an outline yeah. rather than it like it really just feels like they made the cover and then just put the gold on you know yeah. just slapped it on yeah, yeah. but uh, my third game here on my list here is Ikaruga another game that we've talked about in a past episode it's not a major selling game or anything and but it is a uh, a bit of a, a hidden gem on the GameCube, if you will, Ikaruga. It's like a shoot 'em up, very hard game, very difficult space shoot 'em up game. But the case is basically Japanese text that also says Ikaruga, and again, it has white and and it has black text on it. Like I said with Melee, I'm not a huge fan of lots of text on a case. 
Um, and it's just this white, off-white, I suppose, um, case with a lot of like watercolor painting on it. It doesn't explain what the game is at all. Um, looks like a great magazine cover or maybe the cover of a um, of the manual, but it doesn't tell you at all what the game is. You can't look at this and know that it's going to be a shoot 'em up It looks like um, a Super Famicom game yeah. from the 90s. The Super Famicom was, Japanese, was the Japan SNES. Uh, and it looks something like that, where this looks like a game that came to North America, just printed whatever was being printed in Japan, and they did nothing to it to change it for the North American market, which I'm not a fan of completely whitewashing things. Like, I hate to use that term, but I'm not a fan of completely doing that in order to sell something. But a case like this is not going to sell as much as, like, a Call of Duty. And this wasn't going to anyway, but you would have at least sold a few more thousand units if you had just changed it to, like, a ship shooting at another ship. Yeah, and you know what's really sad, too, is that the GameCube cover is the the one that we got in North America is actually just by far the worst one because Ikaruga has been re-released many times now. The Ikaruga that came out on Dreamcast uh, actually has an amazing cover. Yes. It's this beautiful painted artwork uh, of golds and yellows and beautiful hues everywhere of the ship crashing down. And again, it doesn't tell you exactly what's going on. It, it, it's that more SNES artwork, but it's, it's like, it's done so well. It's so vibrant. I love how they kept the Japanese characters on the side and everything in red. It's this beautiful cover that they've since used now for the re-releases. So I'm glad that that is still out there. But yeah, the GameCube one is is so dull and mundane and it hurts me for sure. It's just bland. Like it's faded whites and blacks. Yeah. If that's even possible where the colors in the Dreamcast game are orange and blue, which is the color in the game, which pop very well on the case. Yeah. So you've got this faded looking black and white uh, painted game that just doesn't look great. So they could have done, they, they could have spent a bit more time on the case for that one. The last game on my list here before I pass it back to you, Mike, is a game that I love, which is Godzilla Destroys All Monsters Melee. Not that I don't like the North American case, it's that the Japanese case is so much cooler. Please look it up if you have a chance. Godzilla Destroy All Monsters Melee, the Japanese version of that case is incredible. It looks like a Godzilla movie. Yes, they kept the, they kept, not an art style, but they literally kept the style of this looks like a monster or a person dressed as the monster fighting another person dressed as a monster. <laughs> and it just looks really cool. They kind of hearkened it back to the classic Godzilla style of yeah. the, the monsters looking fake in all honesty. Uh, whereas the Godzilla Destroys All Monsters Melee North American cover is a computer-generated image of the two monsters fighting. I think that's just a general rule of thumb. Try not to have graphics from your game on the box art. Yeah. It just is not a good look. No. You know, for, for I'm thinking of like a Mario Kart Double Dash, that works well because it's a stylized version of those characters from that game. It's not an image from the game itself. And there's a lot of games that did that in this generation. Mm -hmm. For whatever reason, these these marketers were like, yeah, let's just take this like weird polygon image of this person and put it on the front of our cover. It's like, no, don't do this. Yeah, I think we were just getting a little too confident on, on how good graphics were. We're not the time. there yet. No, we weren't there yet. Like we were close, but it wasn't quite there yet. So yeah, Godzilla Destroys All Monsters Melee. Uh, if you haven't checked it out, uh, the Japanese version of the game it looks really cool. I would have preferred if that was our case, but I still love the game anyway, and the, and the North American artwork is not that bad. But uh, Mike, do you have any games that you don't like the artwork for? Yeah, to continue on the computer-generated images on your cases, uh, The Hobbit, I think, is a 
terrible case absolutely awful it uh, doesn't tell it has this weird looking bilbo baggins who looks like a child with a sword uh, it doesn't tell me anything about what's going on the fact that there was a hobbit game in 2004 alone is is incredible uh and they could have done this so cool. They could have done some amazing art styles. Uh, use the art that they um, that they had for some of the illustrations and uh, some Hobbit books that were out at the time. There's, it's like because everyone knows what Lord of the Rings and the Hobbit is, especially at this time. Yeah. So like you can you can be very abstract, and that would be amazing, and that would really want to get me into the game. But instead, we have this weird looking figure on the front. That just it does not make me want to play this at all. Yeah, which is too bad because I'm looking at the case right now and everything except for Bilbo Baggins actually looks okay. Like yeah. they, they have a, a vista of Middle Earth behind them, which looks decent. There's Smog, the dragon, who looks really cool, actually. Mm-hmm. And then Gandalf, who also looks decent, like pretty good. But then Bilbo just looks kind of off-putting, almost like Vex, how we talked about. Like the <laughs> character just looks just off a little bit too much and it's, um, it's a bit off-putting. I... I don't know how to improve that other than just making Bilbo look better. I would have just done a full three, like 180. I would have uh, taken off a lot of text and crap that's on the, yeah. the, the case itself. And I would have made it look like a very, you know, like a, almost like a painting, kind of like Ikaruga in that sense of, of just, of just the, that world. Because it's the Hobbit. It's the Lord of the Rings. This is 2004. This is the peak of Lord of the Rings. It's, there's very little you need to do to actually try and sell this game. Yeah, they even put the label on there, the prelude to Lord of the Rings. It's like, we, we know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, if you're buying The Hobbit. Those are the types of quotes that could just go on the back. Like, put them on the back and leave it alone. But Mark Davis's Pro Bass Challenge would be my next one. We talked about this a couple months ago. And this case, this might be my all-time worst case wow. ever on the GameCube. First of all, the, the font, this word art font that is that's on here that's just disgusting it looks so bad the pro and bass uh (laughs) spaced a little too far apart there's three different types of fonts on this one mark davis's signature pro bass and then challenge there's also the same jpeg of a bass that's in every single fishing (laughs) game which if you line up all the fishing games from from this generation and mark davis isn't even on here just the back of his of a a cgi head of a of an arcade fisherman character's head that looks bad as well the the character but I, don't, I can't think of too many fishing games that, that hook me in, no pun intended, with the box art, but that is a bad one. That is a bad one. That's a really bad one. Yeah, and uh, Wind Waker was going to be one of mine as well that I wanted to say, but we basically covered everything we need to say about it because, yeah, there just was potential there that was lost. Eternal Darkness was another one of mine that I wanted to say. Uh, and the last one I have is maybe it could be a little bit controversial because uh, I know there's, uh, well, we, uh, Amazing Island. Amazing Island is probably one of the games that I like the least in terms of box art, but I know the game itself is actually very interesting sure. and unique, and I don't get anything conveyed on the box art at all. It's just a kid, uh, like a computer-generated kid, putting his hand up with these monsters around him, the whole bunch of text, and the Amazing Island, like saying Amazing Island. It looks like a straight-to-VHS D- Disney Channel movie. <laughs> exactly. That's the best way I can describe that case. And l- like we said earlier in the episode, it takes CG graphics from the game itself, so the characters don't look great either. They could have done so much more with that game. And we have friends who absolutely adore the game, too. Yeah. So I'm really excited to cover it and hopefully play it really soon. Um, but yeah, it, it does look very generic. And 
like even kids wouldn't want to play it because it just looks so kiddish like and it's not tied to any character that they would know from a show or anything like it's its own ip so it has to stand on that and the kids themselves just look so generic so there's nothing uh super outstanding about it unfortunately yep great list of games great list of games that need revision and great cases that we love to look at love to see posters t-shirts mugs everything are still made to this day based on those games Mike, before we move on to some interesting facts about box art on the GameCube and maybe some cases, um, some variant cases, I just want to talk really quick about player's choice cases. Ooh, yes. Player's choice, greatest hits, all those that... When did that start, Neil? Yeah. So player's choice, for those of you that don't know, is basically this line of Nintendo games, which was introduced in 1996 for the SNES. Mm. Uh, The first games included Donkey Kong Country 1, 2, and 3, F-Zero, Mario Paint, and SimCity, and it was used to distinguish titles that sold over 1 million copies. And these games were also discounted, so they were rebranded and repackaged uh, with a different label, different uh, artwork and everything, and then they were sold at a discount of about 20 to $30, depending on the game. Mm. So it was a way for people to get in to buy games that were probably slowing in sales anyway, and parents or uh, aunts and uncles, grandparents or friends were buying games for each other, and they knew that these games were, were good sellers. Yes. So it was a way to identify games that were popular for people that don't play games it it was it would have been you know to be fair it would have been quite hard to actually identify what these super popular games were obviously you would know the the main line of like the zeldas and marios but past that it would have been tough uh, back then yeah so like to know that a game sold over a million copies that's a good way for a parent to know hey there's a good chance my kid's gonna like it or he's gonna have fun with it at, at the very least in the gamecube generation though these the player's choice line uh started in 2003 they lowered the bar to to become a player's choice game from 1 million to 250,000. Uh, and there were player's choice games on N64 as well, but those were all still kept at 1 million. And the GameCube games were discounted to a, uh, between 20 and $30. And they used, of course, the ugly yellow label. Uh, I hate that. And... I know we a lot of collectors, if there are collectors out there listening, you you know that feel, seeing that yellow, that one yellow case in your collection. Get it out of there. Black labels only. It just ruins the consistency of the shelf where most GameCube spines are black, where the GameCube logo is. This is changed to the yellow, and it says player's choice on the front. So a lot of collectors don't care. I've seen on the GameCube Enthusiast Facebook group, People will buy players' choice games. They don't care. They just want the game, which I can appreciate that. I'm sure that there are collectors out there that are only collecting players' choice games. Uh, If you don't know, I counted 110 players' choice games in North America, as well as 15 additional players' choice games in PAL regions. So if you wanted to go for a complete players' choice GameCube North American collection, it wouldn't be that hard to do. It's just that your shelf would look really ugly. All that yellow. (laughs) All that yellow. But like a lot of collectors do have uh, a tendency to really want their collection to look good on a shelf and if there's any sort of differences it it just ruins it and i love that some players choice games mike actually they don't ruin the spine they only cover the gamecube uh front cover with yellow yeah and that's a canadian thing apparently neil um it's so hard to find actual information about this stuff because i don't think anyone cares except us (laughs) i was looking i was doing research about this and i mentioned earlier that they lowered the bar to 250,000 games sold to become a player's choice game i don't think that was ever announced no. So, no. like, parents probably still thought, or people still thought, this must have been a great seller. Maybe it sold over a million, if you even happen to know that. But, like, they don't say on the cover what player's choice even means. You have nope. to be in the industry or at least reading articles to know what that even means. <laughs> and, yeah, one game, 
in particular that Reddit told me about, thank you Reddit, was um, Wind Waker. Uh, in Canada, there were some Wind Waker boxes that didn't have the yellow on the spine but had it on the front. Yeah. So I would have liked that. Make more of those, Nintendo. I know. I would love that. Just don't ruin the spine because for the most part, you never look at the front anyway because unless you're pulling the games out constantly, it at least looks consistent yeah. along the shelf. I actually have a game on PSP. It's Patapon, Greatest Hits if you have a PlayStation that's what they call that line. And uh, the spine isn't ruined, just the front is. So I don't even notice it, which is great. Speaking of spines as well, Neil, um, a little interesting thing with GameCube cases, and people might have noticed this, they might not have, but on the original GameCube games, spanning from around 2001 to 2002 and a little beyond that, we had uh, a attempt at almost a templated font mm -hmm. that all these games would have. It was uh, a variation on, I believe, Impact, which is the font, which is a very early 2000s style font. And uh, Melee uh, has it. Luigi's Mansion has it. Zoo Cube, uh, we all know, has it. <laughs> Tarzan Untamed, I picture having it. Yeah, basically any game, uh, the Tony Hawk games that came out that, that year, uh, basically any games uh, that came out for in the first year of the console had that text on the on the cover, or had that kind of kind of font on the spine and they did quickly abandon this because i don't think it helped anyone they would have just made the the the, the box art designers for these games say hey you have this great box art but um now can you you know just have this crappy little yeah text on the on the side i don't like it i don't like it at all i love to see different spines on the sides like this looks better i've seen I think it's PAL PS2 games are completely sterile. Like they're all white with the same font and it just looks just looks boring. I'm looking at Super Smash Bros and F0 doing a little comparison here right now. And we have Super Smash Bros with the white font on a uh, light blue on white. light blue uh, and it's it's this is the that kind of style font that they were using everywhere. Uh, and then we look at F0. We have the actual F0 logo, the GX in red. Uh, very edgy, of course. Very, uh, you know, futuristic. Imagine this with the, the white font of Super Smash Bros. Melee. It would have taken out all the soul from F0. Like the silver, the red, the big letters. Yeah. I don't know why that was a decision. And the Switch now is like that. How you said, like the Switch is that. Mm -hmm. We're living in that reality now where it's just white letters on a red background with no variants. Yeah, and that is... Uh it is a, too bad in that sense. At least the Switch front covers are really nice, and the digital versions of them do look. They, you know, they they clearly are making them to to fit well in that square, because obviously digital games are outselling physical games at this point. So, I would rather them focus on the, the front covers, anyways. In that sense, um, my my life isn't going to be ruined by having these small cases all be the same. As long as they're all red, that's fine. Still consistent. That's okay to me. But these, with their different colors and their different styles, having that same white font just did not work. No, no, I wasn't a huge fan of it either. And you don't really notice it too much since they do mix in pretty well. Like especially if you have a lot of GameCube games, which I do, it's kind of hard to tell. It's it's actually something that you don't notice until like someone like you who's uh, who notices fonts and design like points it out really mm. it's like did you notice that all these cases are the exact same on the side it's like i do now <laughs> so that, that's unfortunate but yeah. uh you mentioned how like the box art doesn't matter too much anymore now and i wanted to talk to you about that before we close out this episode box art in video games now has kind of been reduced as we transition to a more digital world where box art has now been reduced to basically a thumbnail mm -hmm. it's just this four by four square yep. that you kind of have to capture uh, a gamer's eye with while it's mixed in with thousands of other games and do you think that box art is still important in in 2021 and how do you think games can stand out anymore it's tough yeah i think it, it is definitely a digital first society like that you know it's even like designing for 
for web and uh, it's even like being a web designer in the sense that is mobile first is what you want to think of. Like, how do you catch someone's eye on the phone before you do it on desktop? Right. So it, it is as a designer, it's a really challenging thing to be able to capture something so well on a tiny little square and then be able to, you know, also show it, showcase it well on a box art on other posters and everything like that. I almost think of it like the vinyl to CD style, you know, where um, designers used to have this 12 by 12 massive area where they could put their artwork on for um, for a piece of music. And then, then they had to go to these, you know, CDs that were so much smaller. Or cassette tapes. Or cassette tapes. Yeah. And that, you know, that was such a, a tough transition. And I, I think we're getting a bit of that right now. But I do have to give credit where credit's due. Nintendo has really come through on this generation in terms of artwork. You know, those thumbnails for all their first party games are always really, really tight. Great. Yeah. And and they do a great job with that. So I do have to give them credit. Yeah. I look at some developers and just think like, what are you doing? Like it's it's yeah. only the the title of the game, which could work. But the, the, the way that you would have to do that would be like, I think of a game like Undertale, where the artwork is literally just the word Undertale. Yeah. With, uh, I believe it's a heart yeah. in, in the, dotting the eye. And you wouldn't know what that game is unless it had such a huge social media bump. Yes. yes. Like like streamers like Dunkey were playing it and everyone else, I can't even name that many. <laughs> but like you just know it as, oh, it's the Twitch game. You know, like you, you see it and you know it. But yep. unless you're planning on doing that where you're putting the game out to influencers and you hope that their followers latch onto it and then find your game just based on word of mouth, it's very risky. Because like if you just put a game out in 2001 on GameCube and it just said Beautiful Joe. Yeah. With nothing on it. You wouldn't have stood a hope in hell of selling any copies of that game. No, like back then, you know, and, and even before the GameCube, these games were sold based on artwork. Yeah. For the most part, you know, I think of something like Maximum Carnage, an amazing artwork in that red, yeah. uh, that red cartridge, you know, very distinctive amongst all the gray ones and some black ones, yeah. like stuff like that was a really great design choice that I'm sure sold thousands and thousands of more copies because... As a kid, I, that's what I based a lot of my choices off of was artwork. Yeah, artwork and just what makes this game different. You know, is the, is the cartridge going to be gold? Like physical media, as as much as it is dying, it is still very important to yeah. sell a product. And video games are not discluded from that conversation yet. Neil, I'd like to talk about some variations sure. of the GameCube cases and covers uh, before we close this episode out. There are a lot of variations out there. So there's, Tons. first of all, there's a lot of split covers. Not a lot. First of all, there's some split covers where they have two games in one. Stuff like uh, Metroid and Wind Waker is one. Uh, Darkened Sky and Outlaw Golf is another. What a weird one that one is, man. <laughs> there's a really weird one. There's one that is a Resident Evil 0 and Resident Evil 1 uh, split cover as well, which is pretty cool. Uh, and then, of course, there's the bestseller uh, covers. And I'm not talking about Player's Choice, Neil. I'm talking about the weird sticker the quote-unquote sticker yeah. uh, that was on a lot of these games that say bestseller on them. Well, some of the Player's Choice games also have the bestseller sticker on them. I know. So uh, even though... So we were ask, we were even confused to know what Player's Choice meant. We don't even... I couldn't even really find out what bestseller means. Bestseller seemed to be something that they just stuck on there. And I just... I hate that one more than the Player's Choice, I think. Because they put it on top of the artwork. Like, yeah, because it, it's not... It, it looks like it's a physical sticker, and it's not... Because I just want to rip that off. You know, I don't want that. And I, I always, whenever I buy these games, I always look for ones that don't have the bestseller on it because I hate seeing that. It just reminds me of like books, like when you see it, when you're in a chapters yeah. or a Coles or, or whatever, and you see that New York Times bestseller. It just reminds me of like video games are trying to be something that 
pop culture know in terms of books and like player's choice is very and greatest hits is very much a video game thing like like there's the new york Times bestsellers list for books we have player's choice for nintendo we don't also need a bestseller sticker <laughs> on here too and no. I, I think that they have done away with that i feel like that was only up until the gamecube generation at least like i don't think that they've done it on the 3ds or the ds or no. the switch we actually don't have player's choice switch games yet so i'm thinking that that's got to be coming up pretty soon it's funny because there's a whole bunch of these bestsellers that aren't bestsellers at all. Stuff, stuff like Pikmin 2, nah. which did not sell well. Uh, for Zelda The Four Swords, not in the top 25 either. So it's I, I'm not sure where they got their, their reasons for it. I don't know. But um, there's also Kmart. So Kmart being a chain in the States, uh, retail chain, they sold a bunch of games. And some of theirs were really cool, Neil. You could actually buy Metroid Prime or you could buy Mario Party 4. And there was a little um, sticker that was part of the, not an actual sticker, but like the bestseller, part of the artwork itself. And um, on there, it said that you got a free Wavebird oh, if wow. you bought one of these games. Neat. Yeah. I want a free Wavebird. I want a, I want a game that has free Wavebird on it. The only problem was was the fact that th- this sticker was embedded in the artwork. Yeah. So it kind of sucks. I don't think I've ever seen one. I've, n- I've, I've seen a couple that just have the Kmart on them. But um, yeah, because we don't have Kmart here, so exactly. that would mean that the game would have to uh, immigrate to Canada, and then the the player would have to then sell it to a video game store, and then us find it. So I think it's going to be very rare to find one of those in Toronto. Bunch of ones that also have little uh, stickers embedded in the artwork that say movie tickets. Yes, uh, we have stuff like Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, um, series of unfortunate events, Monster House, uh, Goblet of Fire. Not the other Harry Potter's, weirdly, but Goblet of Fire did have a movie ticket with it so <laughs> that was a good era would that move would that influence you to buy a game if you saw that it had a coupon in it for either a free movie or like a free pizza or something well we did talk uh last month about Yu-Gi-Oh! with false bound kingdom and how that motivated a friend of the show ramon sorry enemy of the show uh, ramon to have uh to, to speak to get the three cards that came with false bound kingdom so for that, I would get get motivated to buy that. But for movie tickets, I don't think that would have motivated me at all. Not anymore. I guess not in the era of streaming. But not even in the era. I don't. I don't remember. I remember seeing the having the chance to like buy these games with movie tickets, but no one bought. The, the problem was is that no one bought licensed games when they came out. Well, no one bought licensed games and then saw the movie. Is that I feel like that that's out yeah. of order. I feel like you should have seen the movie and then get a coupon off the game. That would have made more sense to me. Like that would have made more sense. And they even started printing the game after the movie. I guess was no longer in theaters. Uh, they would print the game without that free movie ticket because yeah. obviously if you buy Haunted Mansion and you get a free movie ticket and it's already on DVD, that's not going to help you at all. So they had to reprint those as well. So I wonder, I would love to know what the redemption rate of those coupons were. <laughs> there's also all the not for resale cases. Uh, famously, there's the Le- Legend of Zelda collection, uh, which I have that has, says not for resale. Uh, and then there are a couple others. Pokemon Coliseum is one. There's a Melee that has one on it. Uh, there's a Wind Waker version that has that on it. But that one is actually kind of interesting. The Wind Waker version that has it is the player's choice and bestseller on it. That would have no not for resale. And now that's not all players choice bestseller wind makers that have that just a couple, I guess, uh, store demos that would have had it. Yeah, it's interesting that because yes, uh, video games do have a lot of not for resale labels on them. And typically that does mean that it was for a store demo, a tournament, uh, uh, an expo of some kind. But then why do they make a case? Like, why wouldn't they just send those out in a in a non-discreet box? an envelope, like whatever. Like why would they print a case and then stick a not for resale sticker on there? It was also in bundles as well. Yeah. Like the, uh, the Zelda collection that we've talked about a lot or for contests like the Nintendo, uh, the Nintendo power magazine contests. 
The not for resale sticker would be on those as well, but I've never understood the not for resale uh, sticker on games. It just makes uh, games get a lot pricier <laughs> after years gone by. Yes, yes, they do get pricier indeed. And the last thing is steel books. Uh, there are two steel books, Neil, on the GameCube. I had no idea they do exist, and it is Resident Evil Four and Tom Clancy's Splinter Cell. And I believe it's actually not even Splinter Cell, but one of the it's uh, Splinter Cell Chaos Theory. And it's a really, really cool cover. I encourage anyone to look it up. It's just three dots, and it's green with these three, three dots oh, yeah, on the, it. Yeah, the three lights from uh from Splinter. The, from, three, three lights, I should say. Yeah, the three lights to make the night vision goggles. Yeah. That, yeah. That's, that's an iconic logo for Splinter Cell. It is an iconic logo, and I love it. Like, it's 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 really simple. That's what a Steelbook should be. Um, yeah, Steelbooks really weren't a thing at this time in, in um, physical media, uh, and, and they got a lot bigger, obviously in the years after but yeah it's funny that those two ended up being on there love the resident evil 4 one the all red Beauty. with the four it reminds me of the uh the european version of resident yes. evil 4 which is very different from the north american one way which better we have the leon kennedy looking you know pretty badass with a gun and a guy with a chainsaw behind him where in europe you guys got one that looks like it's a black forest with a red sky and a red character standing in front of so it so cool very cool doesn't exactly line up well with the game though i will say i think our case makes a bit more sense yes the resident evil 4 european game looks more like a poster um or a, a variant art uh, if you would like maybe like a flip art on the other side of the label but anyway and the very last thing i want to say is for the spines in north america our gamecube logo was weirdly on the bottom uh, which, you know, as a kid, I didn't really realize that. But, you know, as I grew up and saw other cases, I was like, yeah, this is kind of weird that it's at the bottom of the spine where the PAL, they are all at the top of the spine where most other things are for logos or other areas. Yeah. Yeah. I'm just looking right now at my PlayStation 4 games and yeah, they're at the top. Yeah. Almost everything. Blu-ray, the Blu-ray logos at the top. Yeah. Logos consistently for games in North America are often on the top. So it was very, very weird to see a, on the bottom where, yeah, in PAL, it is on the top and then in japan um their case is a whole different story i did say that they're cardboard and their gamecube logo is actually on the case itself uh, on the front cover on the top right yes as a, almost like a rectangular box yeah it takes up a lot of space on the front i'm glad that ours were on the spine yeah, yeah. even though the european version and ours were flipped top and bottom i, I don't like a very cluttered cover i like it to be nice and clean and uh clean and simple is what i like to say clean and simple mike that was a really interesting episode for a side mission i was kind of worried going into this that it would be difficult to uh to talk about artwork um without being able to show anybody since this is not a video podcast but i think we did a pretty good job i think we did a pretty good job describing some of these or some of our favorites and describing video game artworks history as well and uh we definitely encourage you to just just go on a, a journey, go on a wormhole through all these different uh, different covers because there are so many variations. We found a lot of really cool facts uh, about some of these, like how in Canada we have a Pikmin 2 variant mm -hmm. and it's only in Canada. Yep. Um, and obviously we have the only foreign Solmampur on the... Uh, yeah on the, the box as well. So, you know, Canada has a, a little variations. <laughs> <laughs> but Mike, why don't you let the listeners know what they can expect next week on Side Mission Part 7 of the GameCube with School podcast. On Side Mission Part 7, our last of a three-part Side Mission series here before we move back into regular games, it is Mike and Neil Save the GameCube. We're going to do it, Neil. We're going to travel back to November of 2001. <laughs> 
and uh, we're going to save this console and make sure that uh, Miyamoto knows. I know he didn't make it, but we, we got to talk to Miyamoto first, and, and he'll move it up the ladder. Yeah, yeah. we need to learn how to speak Japanese, and then uh, speak to Miyamoto, give him all of the details on what's going to happen to the GameCube. Yeah. Kind of like Back to the Future, if you will. We need to change the past a little bit in order to make sure the GameCube do- does a little better against the uh, PlayStation 2, which it was obviously clobbered by, but we can definitely fix that now, since we are the Internet's GameCube experts. That's right, that's right, and we have all this knowledge to, to pass down from. <laughs> yes, we do, Mike, but until then ladies and gentlemen thank you so much for listening to side mission part six of the gamecube is cool podcast new episode every thursday on all the major podcast services leave us ratings and reviews so we can make the show better if you want to support the show you can find us on patreon we are the gamecube was cool then you can follow us on instagram we are at the gamecube pod share us with your friends and family thank you so much for the support and we will see you next week bye bye take care Over 600 games you've never heard of. GameCube. The product of what happens when you think inside the box. Game.